You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me on this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, we need some uh, we need some digital hugs. We need some consoling each other here. College football season, 2019 college football season is over with LSU being crowned national champions. And uh, but uh, Bill King, I'm on his show every Tuesday. He says it best though. He goes, "Look, there, there is no off season. There is a playing portion of the season and a non-playing portion of the season." And you know, it it, it kind of rings true here on Gators Breakdown. We have the the, the moniker, you know, "Never a dull moment in Gator Nation." You, uh, of course, there's always something to talk about. Uh, the podcast slows down a little bit from the regular season, uh, but plenty, plenty uh, to, to to talk about. But yeah, it's uh, that was the last game of the uh of the 2019 season between LSU and Clemson and now just uh what eight straight months of uh, of talking season. <laughs> yeah, well I've, I'm geared up already for next September Dave, that's for sure, but uh you know, I think our spouses like the <laughs> like the break a little bit. So um yeah, yeah, the off season especially over the last few years has been just as just as eventful as the regular season and I think that's one of the things that that's cool about college football. And one of the things that sort of keeps us all coming back is that there's recruiting and there's the spring game. And, you know, hopefully there aren't any off season shenanigans at Florida, but there'll be off season shenanigans somewhere. I mean, we had the story about Penn state come out today. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that goes on during the off season, a lot of stuff to talk about. And, you know, pretty much the minute the orange bowl ended, the fan base was arguing about Trask versus Emory. So, <laughs> yeah, it's that never a dull moment. There's always something to argue about and we're here for it. Absolutely. That debate will go on all off season and uh, we'll be here to, to give our points and our, our thoughts on it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, the NFL has that, has that figured out, you know, there's something basically every month that builds uh, in, in, like you said, college football with the way recruiting is and the recruiting calendar, it's basically recruiting that kind of takes over uh, in the off season. We'll have some spring ball. We'll have SEC media days, which, I cannot wait for already. I mean, that's going to be fun this year with all the all the coaching changes and all that good stuff. It'll be fun in Atlanta uh, getting back for SEC media days. But yeah, uh, season's over. We'll get into it. Uh, this episode, uh, we'll get into the uh, LSU uh, beating Clemson before we get into, uh, of course, you know, the final rankings based off of uh, the national championship game, the the projections for the 2020 season, uh, where a lot of these projections, the major publications have Florida and, uh, you know, Take a quick look at the uh, the early enrollees uh, for Florida that uh, will be taking place uh, that'll be taking part uh, in spring football. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there, as well as News4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or live on YouTube, like so many of you are doing right now. 
using those services. Please share, rate, and review the show and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown if you don't already. Kind of a quick announcement here. Um, thanks to the uh, Fighting Gators Touchdown Club in Gainesville uh, inviting me for a speaking engagement on April 23rd. Really, really looking forward to that. So if you're in the Gainesville area, you can just make the drive to Gainesville April 23rd. So a couple more a few months away uh, there. I'd be right, almost right after spring practice. So there'll be a lot to, lot to discuss there um, uh, with the Fighting Gators Touchdown Club there. Uh, great schedule for those guys coming up too. Titus O'Neill on January 23rd. Um, March 26th, Coach Savage will be there. And on May 28th, Head Coach Dan Mullen uh, will be there. So good uh, spring leading into summer schedule there for the Fighting Gators Touchdown Club. So, here we go, Will. We'll get to it. And uh, your fighting Joe Burrow LSU Tigers uh, put it on Clemson. Uh, it's a little bit of a slow start. They figured it out in the second quarter, had their foot on the gas pretty much the rest of the game uh, after that. And I tell you what, um, I, I tweeted it after the game last night. Definitely the single best season by quarterback I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, just what Burrow was able to do and not really being able to slow down. They had that Auburn game where they didn't necessarily put up a whole lot of points, but still had five over, over 500 yards of offense uh, there. That was their closest game scoring margin-wise uh, there. Then they had some dog fights with Florida, of course, and Alabama uh, there. So, you know, some some you know, three games there where, where it was kind of, I guess you could say, questionable for LSU. But the season as a whole, they were so dominant. Um and then the AP poll came out today. We'll get into that where Florida was ranked, but LSU beat the in the final AP poll, beat the number two, number four, number six, number seven, number eight, number fourteen, number twenty-five teams in the nation. Did LSU did so with the slate that they had to go through, um, and the way they were able to do it. Uh, I have no problem if people want to say you know Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks had that or senior single season. Uh, one of the best single seasons ever uh, for a quarterback, and if this LSU team can be put up there right with uh, many of the of the game's greats, yeah, it turns out winning the SEC and then going into that playoff is a pretty pretty big gauntlet, and and that's sort of what you see reflected in those final poll numbers. And obviously, I was I was one year early predicting LSU to win the West last year with Burrow, but they, they, he proved me right this year. Made me look intelligent, which is sometimes hard to do, but he was able to do it and. Uh, yeah, he had an excellent season this year. I'm actually going back. I'm I'm planning on writing a book this offseason, and I'm I'm going back and looking at different quarterback performances. And I think I think as quarterback performances go into the go into the past, we forget. I mean, those teams with Tebow at the helm were really really good. Um, the Virginia Tech team in '99 with Michael Vick was a really really good team as well, and really didn't have the kind of talent around him that LSU did. So I'm not ready to say yet that that Burroughs is the best individual season, but man, that game against Oklahoma was something special. And then the game against Clemson last night, even when they were down 17 to seven, it really didn't feel like LSU was even, you know, it, it felt like they were still going to be able to take control of that game. And you could sort of see that Clemson was playing a lot of man to man in order to get pressure on Burrow. And the minute he sort of was able to pop a couple of those quarterback draws, the pressure stopped a little bit. And then all of a sudden he was able to torch him with Jamar chase over the top. I mean, it was a little bit of a bittersweet game watching it just because, you know, Chase was somebody who was committed to Florida. Burrow was a guy I wanted Florida to go after. And, and you know, it's 
those types of guys, that type of talent is what can turn a team from a team that goes 11 and two into a team that goes 15 and 0. And, and certainly Mullen's got his work cut out for him to catch up to LSU and, and Alabama and George as well. But congratulations to the Tigers. It was a heck of a season. Um, I think we're going to look back on them as, as a, as one of the best teams to ever, to ever play, but um, I'm not ready to crown them complete college football champs yet. Yeah. The one thing that got me was um, the offense was kind of humming all season long. Uh, They came out game one humming there. They had the layoff in between the SEC championship game and the uh, bowl game, uh, peach bowl game versus Oklahoma came out firing with that. A little bit of a slow start versus Clemson, but we're able to figure out, put some points and yards up on the uh, on the on the Tigers there. But I mean, man, it was just an offense that really you know didn't ever take a hit. But it was their defense. I mean, that, the, the, their defense the last quarter of the season uh, definitely turned a corner. Uh, the, the shootout with Florida, the shootout with Alabama uh, there. But uh, kind of after that, you know, they, they found themselves uh, and you know probably. Um, Spoke a lot. I, th- I think that what the way able to do to slow down Clemson and, and Trevor Lawrence and, and that offense and those receivers. You know, Lawrence was missing some throws, uh, of course, but they were in the face of those Clemson receivers. They got beat early at times uh, there, but I think that defense turning the corner was a was a big uh, a big reason why you know they could keep giving Joe Burrow the ball and putting points on the board. Yeah, well, it felt like once LSU finally got the lead and was able to wrestle the lead away, that Lawrence started pressing a little bit. And that happens, right? I mean, you got a guy like Burrow on the other sideline. Clemson can't stop LSU, and you have to press and press and press. That's actually one of the things I think was really impressive about Kyle Trask and Florida when they went into Death Valley and and sort of played nose-to-nose with LSU for the first three quarters, really three and a half quarters of that game, is that they didn't really press. They just sort of had those long drives that went down the field. They were able to convert into touchdowns and keep the game close. And and Clemson just wasn't able to do that. I mean, they kept sort of going for the home run. Lawrence kept overthrowing it and then eventually fumbled the ball at the end when, you know, they were sort of on their last gasp. And, and, you know, that was really the only mistake he made that was, that was terrible. It it wasn't as if there were a bunch of turnovers that gave LSU their points. And Mm -hmm. that's maybe the thing that, that's so impressive about LSU. I mean, you give them the ball at their own three and you're like, Oh God, they're going to go down and score. <laughs> and most teams you pin them deep in your own territory and you feel like you can be aggressive and, and you really couldn't do that against LSU this year. And we sort of saw it last year. I mean, I remember <laughs> it was funny last year when LSU played UCF in that bowl game, I was an LSU fan just because God, I wanted UCF to lose. And it was so frustrating watching the game because it felt like LSU was on the <laughs> cusp of scoring a thousand points in that game. And UCF wound up, I think, losing by seven, even yeah. though it felt like they were down by 40. I mean, LSU was clearly the better team. And then we had to hear all the UCF fans sort of, you know, crowing a little bit. Well, we only lost by seven. It's like, yeah, the game wasn't even remotely that close. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that Burrow and company really eliminated this year is I can't remember turnovers in the red zone, mm. missed receivers when that, that turned a, t- a sure touchdown into a field goal, like all those sorts of mistakes that teams make and, and that Clemson made last night. LSU hasn't made all year. And, you know, that, that's why they're the champs. I mean, when you put up 45 points a game, um, it's going to be hard to take you down and, and, yeah, that offense was so good. It really sort of allowed the defense to make a mistake and still be able to remain aggressive. And, you know, those Florida teams from three or four years ago <laughs> where the offenses were so bad, and I can remember there'd be one big play and all of a sudden you knew Florida was doomed because the offense was going to score a touchdown. Yep. And when you can play freely like LSU's defense has been able to, I think that they've been able to take advantage of that. And also the time off in between the end of the year and the playoff, I do think has helped. I mean, being able to get healthy 
after the gauntlet that you just described that they went through. I mean, you know, that schedule is difficult even without Oklahoma and even without Clemson, but having the opportunity to get healthy and get all those guys, um, you know, Delpit had a sprained ankle at some point late in the year and sort of getting those guys healthy, I think has made a difference. Yeah. And then just for, you know, Gator comparison here, we always go back to the, the, the Spurrier teams and particularly the 96 team. You had Warfel and then you had the, the you know, basically the, the three deep receivers there, um, Green, here uh, your Anthony there. Um, and that was a high flying passing attack for its time. <laughs> and then, so you, if you want to compare the 96 stats to what Joe Burrow and this LSU team that did, Danny Werfel threw for 3,625 yards. Joe Burrow, 5,671. He threw for 2,000 more yards than Danny Werfel did in 96. And that's, you know, at a 76 point percent or a 76 percent clip uh, compared to Werfel's 57. I mean, you know, for, for what Gator fans know and, and growing up watching and an offense that was high flying, take that Danny Werfel, Steve Spurrier offense and put it on steroids. Yeah, well, and this is why I say that I'm not ready necessarily to crown this is the best year ever for for Burrow, just because if you look at in 1996, the average yards per attempt for a quarterback was 7.21. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, it was 7.75, so a half a yard more per attempt. And, you know, Burrow obviously was the best of the best this year, but at the same time, um, teams are throwing the ball. They're throwing the ball downfield more often. They're completing the ball more often. And the offenses really have an advantage over the defenses that, quite honestly, they didn't have back in 1996. I mean, yep. you know, one, one of the enduring images of that 96 championship run is all the late hits that Werfel endured in yeah. the game against Florida State. And, I mean, you you would have had 17 targeting penalties in, <laughs> in that game. Uh, yeah, the guy who got thrown out last night for really sort of making a textbook tackle, you know, that you don't have to worry about that. I mean, obviously Burrow took that big hit on the touchdown, on the touchdown pass, but beyond that, the quarterbacks take a lot less punishment. The tight ends can go over the middle without being fearful that they're going to get absolutely decked. And and I do think that makes a difference in the passing game and makes things a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner. Um, and we've seen the same thing in the NFL, right? That the passing the passing numbers have really ballooned over the past decade or so. And and I think college football is getting into sort of a, a space where the running quarterback is not going away, but that the running quarterback is becoming a little bit less emphasized over the last three or four years. And uh, you know, certainly going to the air and really sort of air raids the wrong thing, but the Joe Brady offense bringing that in and really allowing Burrow to open it up has, has, has made a huge difference, obviously. Yeah. You need a quarterback with legs. You need, you need some mobility back there, but when Alabama made the choice to go from Hertz to Tua, it was because Tua was a better passer. When Clemson made the move from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence, it was because it was a better passer. Uh, you know, so you know, the mobility part is there, but uh, you know, you still have to be able to connect on throws. So, I, I, as you said, I, that's the biggest difference. As uh, uh, yeah, the 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 running quarterback isn't going away, but the running quarterback is turning into a better passing quarterback. Absolutely. Well, and if you look at Jalen Hurts, I mean, he was he was great on the ground this year, but he averaged five point six yards per rush. Right, and then you look at Joe Burrow. He averaged ten point nine yards per attempt. Yeah. So if you have the option of throwing the ball eleven yards every time you go back, or run the ball for six yards every yeah. time you pop back there, it's a no brainer, right? I mean, twelve versus six <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense to chuck the ball over the yard. And Hertz brings value with his leg, with his legs, absolutely. But um, but being able to go back there and chuck it makes a difference too, and and that's really what we saw. 
All right. So with that, as I said, LSU national champions there for 2019. And then the, the final rankings uh, came out day, today, the, the day after uh, that. And it had the Gators ranked sixth in the AP poll and seventh in the coaches poll. Now, the biggest difference uh, in those were, were Oklahoma being in front of Florida in the coaches poll. So to me, uh, you know, in my eyes, I, I think Florida should have been at fifth. Uh, no way Oregon should have been ranked ahead of Florida. Uh, I don't care if they're Pac-12 champs. Uh, it just, I know they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, but you know, at this point, at the end of the season, you know, I think you can nitpick here. And, and Florida beat the same Auburn team that Oregon lost to. Uh, not to mention Oregon losing to a very mediocre Arizona State team. Uh, Florida lost to the AP number one and number four teams in LSU and Georgia. So you know, you could. You could argue that Auburn really is Florida's only good win as is the only ranked win Florida has on the season. Um, no other opponents on Florida's schedule were ranked besides the two losses uh, with Georgia and LSU and then the win versus Auburn. But, you know, still the same Auburn team that beat Oregon. So maybe my bias is showing here a little bit, Will, but uh, Florida should be number five in my book. <laughs> well, obviously the the loss of Utah to Texas on a pretty bad or average, I guess, Texas team in the yeah. Alamo Bowl sort of colors Oregon's Pac-12 championship a little bit, just in terms of of how good or bad you think that conference is, and then and then Oregon wasn't necessarily a juggernaut this year, and 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 Wisconsin was okay, but not uh, you know I don't think anybody looks at that and goes, ooh, that's that's an elite win. I mean. Ohio State destroyed them when they had the opportunity to play them. Um, you know, Oklahoma, I think after that sort of the showing against LSU probably deserves to be out of the top 25. But, you know, hey, it doesn't matter at the end of the year. At the end of the day, it's fun. Um, yeah. I think if you the interesting thing is when you start looking at the actual 24-7 talent composite for the, for the teams, Florida's ranked 15th coming into the year. So to end up in that 6-7 to seven range is really a testament to Mullen's ability to get the most out of his players, particularly when you factor in the, the injury to Franks. And so um, I think it's a good sign just to see where Florida ends up. And, and you know, you're, if you're not winning the championship, if you're not making the playoff, it's sort of what's your rolling average over the yeah. years. And, and, you know, uh, yes, I think they're better than Oklahoma. I think they're better than Oregon. I think they're probably <laughs> – you could put the f- top four or five teams in the in the country being SEC teams and then Clemson but uh, yeah. and maybe Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I actually have no idea whether a team like Florida or a team like Auburn would be able to take Ohio State on a neutral field. I mean, I think Ohio State's a good team, but obviously they lost to Clemson. And I don't really – I don't think this Clemson team was as good as last year's Clemson team. And, you know, who knows? I mean, the fact that those – the fact that Clemson wasn't really tested until they saw Ohio State and Ohio State wasn't really tested until they saw Clemson – I still don't know where those teams stand in relation to the SEC because LSU just sort of ran roughshod over them. Yeah, so taking a look here at the final AP poll, that's kind of a reminder here to let everybody know the college football playoff rankings stopped when they named the four teams. and all that. So you will not see a final college football uh, ranking from the playoff committee. And they just they just don't do it. They let the final four speak for itself. Uh, they name a champion, and that's pretty much it. So you won't get an updated CFP rankings here, but the AP poll, LSU number one, Clemson number two, Ohio State three, Georgia four, Oregon five, Florida at six, as we said, Oklahoma seven, Alabama eight. I'd probably have Alabama at number seven uh, there. Penn State nine, Minnesota after they beat Auburn uh, in the bowl game at number 10. 
Wisconsin 11, Notre Dame 12, Baylor 13, Auburn 14, and then Iowa, Utah, Memphis, Michigan at 18, Appalachian State 19. There we go. Uh, Navy 20, Cincinnati 21, Air Force, Boise State, UCF at 24, and Texas at 25. So, <laughs> what were you doing? UCF or Texas? UCF. <laughs> Uh, so that was the final, um, final, final uh, AP. Anything else catch your eye there, Will? Uh, Georgia number four, uh, you know, expected. You know, once they didn't, once they lost uh, in the SEC championship game and beat Baylor uh, in, in the Sugar Bowl, uh, you know, no, no problem. Georgia uh, being number four there. I so said my my argument was uh, Oregon at number five, uh, at Florida number six, but uh, you know, SEC, you know, top heavy there. Uh, in, in the uh, top 10 and then uh, the big 10 Penn state, Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know, three big 10 teams right there to, to go nine, 10, 11. Yeah. I think we'll understand a little bit when the NFL draft comes in terms of how, how separated these teams and these leagues really are. Right. <laughs> that, that I, I mean, obviously the sec went eight and two in the bowl games. And I think the next closest was like four and five or something like that. So, um, showed their showed their dominance and it shows up in the poll as well and obviously the SEC is top heavy right now i mean you've got you know no one's no one's stating that kentucky and vanderbilt and tennessee are going to go out there and dominate but they did sort of dominate the competition that they saw during the bowl season and so even the bottom half of the sec showed out this year and and i don't know and it wasn't like there were two sec teams in the playoff to dilute um, you know, sometimes you get two SEC teams in the playoff and then the third SEC team is in a bowl higher than they should be. And it sort of cascades down. We didn't get that this year. They were really pretty evenly matched and the SEC dominated. So um, a good year for the league overall. And I think, I think it's pretty reflective of what happened this year. I think the big, the big 10 was probably the second best league. I think the ACC was probably equivalent to the Pac-12 and the, and the, and the big 12, just they had Clemson and Clemson's a much better team than anybody else in those three leagues. Will, I mean, Will must, uh, Will must chant. Wow, where did I get that from? Uh, man, Gator fans can they can uh, they can hit me for that one. Um, Demo, well, why did I say Whoa. Will Muschamp? Wow, I don't know. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> You're living in the past, Dave. Come well, on, I guess man. so. Wow, uh, Demo, you know, Florida. Two top ten finishes now, uh, official uh, with this uh, AP number six ranking. Coaches number seven here. I mean, two years ago, of course, we we all know what what Florida had to fight back from uh, with the Jim McElwain era. I, I don't think we could have envisioned um, the the finishes here. Two years in a row, two top ten finishes, and really uh, setting up. You know, we'll get into it in just a second here, but you're really setting up uh, an exciting third year heading into heading into year three. But um, I know we've given plenty of kudos to Mullen uh, for. You know, week after week on the podcast and after the orange bowl, uh, of course, and getting 10 wins, getting 11 wins. Uh, but you know, just at least this lets you, you know, the wins you earn it, you know, and all that, but also with these rankings, there's a lot of opinion that goes into it. A lot of these college football writers and a lot of these other coaches out there. And, and at least with the, the rankings that we, that, that were released today, we got to see uh, Florida, be you know, being back up there uh, among the nation's elite teams, being a you know top five, top six, top seven teams uh, when 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 the when the seasons are over with, and basically Dan Mullen in two seasons has, has put Florida back where they belong. Yeah, absolutely, and and he's done it while papering over some deficiencies, right? I mean, this year the offensive line was a clear liability, and he was able to paper over that and still go eleven and two with a backup quarterback. And last year, you know, there were some deficiencies. 
um, you know, particularly at the quarterback position, especially early in the year, and he was able to paper over that, go ten and three. Really, the only the only loss that I would say that's really been poor is the loss to Kentucky, and there Terry Wilson played lights lights out, and I'm not sure. I think they sort of relied on Felipe Franks a little bit more than I think they thought they were able to rely on him more than they could in that game, and realized mm-hmm. okay, we need to dial things back a little bit. He's not quite where he needs to be yet. By the end of the year, he was there after that after the debacle with Missouri, but end of the day, the only time they've really lost other than that Kentucky game is to quarterbacks who are NFL caliber, right? From twice. Then they lost to Burrow, who's going to be the first pick in the draft. And then they lost to Drew Locke. And so I think that says something about Grantham and sort of some of the areas where we hope to see him improve. But I also think it says that when, when Mullen is able to game plan, uh, he, he can he can get an offense even with holes, even with deficiencies to perform at a level obviously much better than his predecessors and gives the defense an opportunity to succeed and, and win the game unless there's a guy on the other side who's just throwing darts everywhere. And that's sort of the next step, right? And this is something that I started doing a little bit of writing for Gator Country. I got something coming out in the next couple of days. And, you know, so Trevor Lawrence torched Alabama last year. And you had Trevor Lawrence versus Tua. Lawrence wins that battle, and so Clemson wins the game. I mean, that's really as simple as, as it is for that game last year. And last night, Trevor Lawrence got outdueled by Joe Burrow. And that's kind of the next step for the Florida program, I think, is being able to have a quarterback who it doesn't necessarily have to be elite all year long, but has to have a ceiling of being able to be elite where – you, know, you go up against a Trevor Lawrence next year in the playoff. Are you going to be able to be able to take him down? And Florida has an interesting schedule next year where they're not necessarily going to run up against it. A lot of guys who are going to be playing in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can they use that to their advantage next year as well to get where they want to go? Yeah, that'll segue perfectly into uh, the rankings next season. Of course, after as soon as the and even before you started seeing uh, the college football uh, playoff national championship game, you started seeing. Uh, right before the game and right after the game, a lot of the uh, way too early rankings uh, come out. And I'll go through a few here, uh, of course, just to kind of get a, a feeling uh, for where uh, the nation's uh, publications out there feel uh, where Florida can be uh, next year. So here we go. Um, we all just mentioned uh, Trevor Lawrence and Clemson here. You're going to see that team a lot <laughs> in the first two spots uh, of these rankings coming up. ESPN. Uh, and we'll start with them here in their way too early ranking. They did have Clemson uh, number one here, Ohio State two. So no surprise there. Those two teams with Trevor Lawrence coming back, Justin Fields coming back, the way they've recruited the last few years. Uh, of course, no problem with those two teams being up there. Uh, number three would be Alabama uh, for ESPN. That's about the way I would have it too. Uh, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, the machine that Nick Saban's built uh, there. I, I know they're losing to uh, – I know they're losing to receivers. But – it's Nick Saban. It's the way he's recruited the last few years. No problem uh, there. Um, so LSU number four, we'll see uh, about two hours before we come on uh, here. Gators breakdown it has been announced that Joe Brady, the, uh, you know, passing being coordinator, he called plays. I know people want to give Vince Binger a whole lot of credit, but uh, this, this was Joe Brady's offense. <laughs> we saw the difference from last year to this year. Uh, and there's a reason he's an offensive coordinator in the uh, NFL right now. That was the announced before uh, the uh, we came home here on the podcast. So LSU at number four for ESPN. I do wonder, you know, would of course Joe Burrow leaving uh, what they're what, what they're losing uh, as well. And now Joe Brady announcing he's going to go to the Carolina Panthers. How much you know this maybe changes the perception of LSU. Uh, but you know, for ESPN's sake, here they have LSU at number four. So, I mean, two SEC teams there uh, in in the top four. 
Oregon at number five here for ESPN. Justin Herbert leaving. Um, they're basically losing their entire offensive line for 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 uh, except one um, uh, one returning player here. I mean, that's a lot to me. But as we kind of just got through discussing, they play in the Pac-12. I don't know who's really going to challenge them all that much. Washington's going through a quarterback change. Utah uses a whole loses a whole lot from this past year, so you could probably have Oregon up there just for the sake of an easier schedule. Uh, there so ESPN keep following them here Georgia at number six there uh, we know everything about Georgia and what they lost Jake from DeAndre Swift offensive lineman uh, there J.R. Reed as well uh, on the defensive side of the ball they're going to return most of that really great defense uh, there's Cade Mays decides to transfer uh, to Tennessee but uh, we'll get into it just a bit here uh, Jamie Newman transfer from Wake Forest coming to quarterback the Bulldogs and then for ESPN here we go Georgia was number six and number seven are our Florida Gators and the outlook here from ESPN I believe it was Mark Schleyball who wrote this he says there's no question that Dan Mullen has stabilized Florida's football program with a 21 and 5 record in two seasons the next step is toppling Georgia in the SEC East and the talent gap between the programs narrowed after the Bulldogs mass exodus of underclassmen at least the Gators have found a consistent quarterback in Kyle Trask who completed 66.9 of his attempts with 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions this past season. The Gators will have to replace leading rusher P. Ryan and top receiver Jefferson. Defensive coordinator Todd Grantham is going to have to rebuild his front seven, especially along the line with Zuniga, Grenard, and Schuler leaving. Top cornerback Henderson also turned pro. Florida's 2020 non-conference schedule is embarrassingly soft. FCS foe Eastern Washington. South Alabama and New Mexico State at home and Florida State on the road. And it plays only three games outside of the Sunshine State at Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt. So we'll plenty to dissect there. We'll dissect a whole lot of this in the next eight months uh, for uh, this. But, you know, looking at the ESPN, of course, this is probably going to be the most read, way too early, top 25. Uh, so here we go. You know, Florida ends the the season at at, uh, at number six and number seven, and then for projections for next year, ESPN has the Gators at number seven. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really boils down. Do you think they're going to be Georgia or not? Right? Like yep. if, if you think they're going to be Georgia, then they're going to be a little bit higher. If you think they're going to lose to both Georgia and LSU, maybe they're a little bit lower. And obviously, ESPN has Georgia and LSU up in front of them. And until Florida proves that they can beat one of those te- or one or both of those teams, um, now that LSU's coming off of the title. You know they're they're going to be put behind them in most of the previews this year. I I would say, you know, we don't know where all the quarterback transfers are going to go yet. I, mm-hmm. I don't know whether it was at this point last year that we knew Justin Fields was going to be at Ohio State, but I think there maybe were rumors, but it hadn't actually happened yet. And so, you know, there's going to be some guys who move around. In fact, I was texting you the other day about this guy Phil Yurkovich from uh, from Notre Dame <laughs> has some very similar. Um, very similar high school stats to Joe Burrow. And he's sort of on my radar as the guy who's going to be a big time transfer going someplace. Now I think he'll have to sit out a year, but you know, who knows the NCAA gives waivers at times when, when you don't think they should or, or, and then Derek King from Houston mm-hmm. transferring as well. So, you know, it's entirely possible that somebody Felipe right, Franks, Felipe Franks. Franks. Yeah. <laughs> it's entirely possible that Arkansas is a much tougher out next year because they've got Franks or King as their quarterback, or, you know, it's entirely possible that, um, you know, that, 
Gus Malzahn brings in Derek King or something like that mm-hmm. just because he wants that kind of guy running his offense. You know, obviously, I think they're happy with Knicks, but you just never know what's going to happen. And quarterback is such a critical position. And with the way the transfers and the transfer portal works these days, um, I think there's going to be quite a bit of shuffling anyway. So um, I, I think um, you look at LSU, they lose an awful lot. You look at Georgia, they lose an awful lot. You look at Florida, they return an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And so just if if you believe the other teams are going to come back to the pack, then I think it gives Florida an opportunity. You know, it, But again, it's sort of what I said earlier, that you, know, you knew with, with Burrow or you know with Trevor Lawrence that you've got that high end, and he may not achieve it every game, but you've got the ability to go to that. You know, you can go to 11, and the question is going to be, can Florida and can Trask go to 11 next year, or are they going to be sort of a solid nine the whole way the whole way through the season? And sometimes a solid nine isn't good enough if you struggle a little bit or if you come up against a really good defense, and, and that happened last year against Georgia. That will lead into Athlon and what they had to say to quickly finish uh, what ESPN's top 10 is. Uh, Florida at seven, Oklahoma eight, Penn State nine, and Notre Dame 10. I will shift to Athlon and what they had to say. I'm going through it's going to be ESPN, Athlon, Sporting News, Saturday Down South, 24-7, and CBS here. So we'll go through all the readings uh, that those things get uh, through those publications gave, but definitely the rankings of where they have and maybe some highlights of what they had to actually say by Athlon uh, here. As I said, there's going to be a common theme here for a lot of these teams, of course, that you see here, but it, uh, it is led by Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, a little bit higher here in the Athlon. Penn State, six. And here we go. Florida, seven again in Athlon. And notice, Florida's in front of Georgia in Athlon's here. So quite some time since we've uh, seen or uh, claim uh, Florida's going to go into the preseason uh, with some of these publications being higher, um, highly more highly regarded than, than Georgia here. And Athlon pretty much says the same thing, Will, but one of the first major national publications that's going to bring up the quarterback battle <laughs> and Embry Jones could push trash for the starting job. But even if he doesn't, the sophomore will be a factor in the rushing attack after averaging 6.1 yards per carry over 42 attempts. So there we go. You know, a major publication is going to throw their hat into, you know, making somewhat of a quarterback controversy here. And look, you and I have said it before. I don't think it's going to be any surprise in the spring. If Kyle Trask is the one who trots out there first, that doesn't mean there wouldn't wouldn't be some type of competition out there. I think there has to be. Uh, if you want to take that next step, you know, Kyle Trask needs to beat out Emory Jones. Emory Jones needs to beat out Kyle Trask. And, you know, make a base plan win and go, if Trask is the guy, I still think Emory Jones gets a lot of playing time. I still think he's out there um, in certain situations. Maybe those situations can be figured out better <laughs> the next season uh, compared to what we saw this year. But, Will, the first publication here, and there's a, a, another one here, uh, that also will have Florida ahead of Georgia. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it, it depends on whether you believe in Jamie Newman. It depends on whether you believe that it's a big deal that they have to replace nine of their 11 starters on offense. It it, it depends on whether you believe that Jake Fromm, even though he had a down year in 2019, is, is a really good quarterback. And And if you think that the reason Jake Fromm had a down year is because of the offensive coordinator. And if they don't change over their offensive staff and they bring in a quarterback who's worse, you can see a scenario where Georgia struggles. And then Georgia's schedule is much, much more difficult. They have to go at Tuscaloosa and they've got Auburn before they then play Florida in that neutral site game. So there's a possibility that Florida could lose to both LSU and Georgia, but because Georgia has a tougher schedule that Florida would still be able to end up in the SEC championship game. Now, I don't think they'll be able to lose both of those, but yeah. you know, the, 
the um, you know we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, that South Carolina game this year that Georgia lost isn't isn't one that we would have necessarily pointed at. And when you get inconsistent quarterback play, you can lose those sorts of games. And they got inconsistent play from Fromm in that game. But then again, Fromm had the ability to to sort of raise his game against Florida and and win that game. And if Newman doesn't have that ability, then Florida has a really good shot. So I think this is more a matter of Georgia coming back to the pack. I know you and I've been talking privately. I, I threw a I threw a little bit of it into the, into the article I wrote recently that was talking about um, basically that when you look at top 100 talent from that 2018 class for Georgia, I mean, it looked like they were dominating for, I think it was like 12 to four on signing day in 2018, but because of all the transfers that Georgia's had and because of all the transfers that Florida's having coming in now, um, the top 100 talent is basically equivalent. And that 2018 class is really the one that you kind of figure is the, is the driving force for this 2020 season. And, uh, and and so the talent gap has narrowed just because of all the attrition on the Georgia side and the additions that Dan Mullen's been able to make through the portal. Now, obviously, those guys have to hit. It doesn't do any good to have a top 100 guy if he doesn't perform. And so all those transfers are going to have to hit. But the transfers have hit at Florida thus far. That's one of the reasons why Mullen's been able to go 21-5 and five is because Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes and John Grenard have all been excellent players, not just contributors, but you know, Grenard in particular, I mean, difference makers. And if Lingard and, and Cox can be difference makers, then Florida has a real shot. All right. And then, as I said, Florida was in front of uh, Georgia here in Athlon. Florida was seventh. Georgia was eighth there. So it was only one spot, of course. And they, like they said, they're splitting hairs there. Uh, and so a lot of it dealing with the, the quarterback position. So we'll kind of see how uh, that goes through. They'll, they'll change these rankings a little bit. But uh Going down to um, Sporting News. Sporting News had the Gators ranked lower than all these other publications, and they had the Gators coming in at 10. At the top, as I said, not surprising um, where they're at. Same three teams here. Well, I, I guess before we go into Florida and, and where they're right now here for Sporting News, you know, LSU at number four here. I'm As I said, I, I referenced it earlier, Brady leaving – I'm sure that will affect some of these rankings for some of these publications here, but they didn't know this at the time. I still kind of found it a little surprising that a lot of these publications still have LSU this high, losing Joe Burrow and, and losing um, that, you know, probably a good bit of that passing game uh, there. And, and some of the defenders they'll be uh, missing as well. It, I don't want to necessarily say they're going to fall back and go into that funk of not having a, a passing game again, but yeah, you know, that was a huge step. And what we, we mentioned what Joe Burrow's stats were and what he was able to do on the field this year. I just, I, I don't see LSU as the top four team. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what makes people think miles Brennan is going to be able to replicate what Joe Burrow did. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a disservice to Burrow. <laughs> well, well, and, and and when you look at the stats that Brennan put up in 2019 when he came in and mop up duty, it's not like he was chucking the ball all over the place and and putting up 78 percent completion or anything like that. I mean, he was serviceable, he was decent, but he wasn't elite. And usually in mop-up duty, the stats end up being overinflated because you're able to, you know, against a couple cupcakes, you're able to hit some big throws. And and there was certainly quite a bit of time for mop-up for LSU, though a lot of times they left Burrow in maybe longer than they should have. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, look, the reason LSU won the national championship this year is because of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. 
And, you know, you can say that's because of Joe Brady. You can say that's because of, um, you know, Burrow's skill. You can say it's a little bit of both. It's probably, the truth is probably that it's a little bit of both, but now both of those guys are gone. And so you got Miles Brennan stepping in. I mean, no one can say with any certainty that they know what's going to happen. And the interesting thing about these rankings is you go back and look at, look at, you know, one from 2019. I mean, Mark Schlebach for ESPN, he had Clemson as number one. So pretty decent. Alabama two, Georgia three. Ohio State four, Notre Dame five, Oklahoma six, Florida seven, Texas eight, Texas A and M nine, and LSU ten. So here's the reality: six of those ten teams, five of those ten teams are going to be in the top ten next year, yeah. and five of them are going to disappoint. Nobody really knows because you can't predict, right? I mean, Trevor Lawrence gets hurt. Who knows what Clemson has behind them? And go kind of to go back to this thought in, in this past season. It was asked a lot. And I remember going back and looking at preseason game day of which top 10 team won't be there at the end of the season. A majority of those guys picked Florida. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think schedule has a lot to do with it too. So you start looking at who Florida has to play next year. Yeah. And I, mean, I think, I think ESPN called it embarrassing that yeah. conference schedule, but it hey, is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an opportunity, right? Yep. It's an opportunity to not get beat up as much as your opponents. It's an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that you have a lighter schedule because in 2021, they got Alabama on the schedule and you, you, USF starts a home and home. And then in 2022, they've got Utah USF, and I think they play Texas A&M, and A&M should probably be humming by then under Jimbo. So the schedule is going to get more difficult, and 2020 is sort of their opportunity. But, um, you know, I, I think schedule plays a role. We see this in the NFL all the time. I mean, Buffalo made the playoffs this year because they had they got the NFC East, and the AFC East is terrible. Buffalo goes 10-6. and six. They're not really more than 8-18. Eight eight they just go 10-6. and six. And I think you'll see that sort of – um, you know, maybe Oregon has an easier schedule because the Pac-12 is down, or Oklahoma has an easier schedule because the Big 12 is down, and ends up, you know, and ends up in the top 10. But um, yeah, I, I suspect five of these teams are going to be there. Five of them won't, and <laughs> we won't know until where the quarterback carousel sort of settles and the coach carousel, right? I mean, who's going to be at Virginia yeah. Tech? Who's going to be at Baylor? Um, you know, if if Baylor ends up getting Fuente and Fuente ends up being a difference maker there, you could see a couple of upsets against Oklahoma and Texas, and all of a sudden those guys aren't up there. So, um, you know, we'll see. That's what makes college football great is that you never necessarily know. What, you know, you look back a year ago, you know, they had Clemson number one. They weren't too far off. Yeah. <laughs> that one I just read off. But at the same time, there's a lot of intrigue. One loss, one injury um, sort of throws everything out of whack. And that's one of the impressive things about Florida this year is they had an injury at the most important position and were still able to push forward, which I think bodes well for them moving, moving forward to next year. Yep. Uh, sporting news continuing here. Georgia at number five. As I said, they have Florida a good bit here. You know, Oregon at six, Oklahoma seven, Notre Dame eight, Penn State nine. And then what they say about Florida at, at 10, Dan Mullen led Gators back to back New Year's six bowl wins, and he has upgraded talent with each recruiting cycle. Kyle Trask and Embry Jones will fight for the quarterback job. So another publication here, even though Trask played well, uh, predicting a quarterback battle here. But they do say it would be hard to take away the job from Trask, given how he filled in this season. The return of Marco Wilson is a lift for a talented defense that loses C.J. Henderson. Florida is close to getting back to the SEC championship game, but Georgia remains the biggest hurdle. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, definitely no surprise uh, what they uh, have to say there. A couple more publications here before we uh, wrap up this part. Uh, Saturday Down South, uh, of course, you know, one of the more popular publications out there, especially for following SEC football. Will they start at the top uh, with number 25 here? 
Uh, we won't dive too far into that. We need more, more Florida focus here. But, hey, they got Tennessee at 25. So <laughs> uh, we'll see what, with the balls and with the way they ended the season, uh, if they can capitalize on the, on the streak they had at the end of the year. Well, I, I haven't I haven't looked at their schedule, but if everybody they're playing is less than 75 in the FPI, they'll probably be able to win just as many as they did at the end of the year because they were definitely front-loaded this year and then took advantage of the stuff on the back end. But, you know, again, I, I, I mentioned this in, in my article this week, the Florida State being decent is a good thing for Florida just because you sort of need that schedule boost. Same thing, like Tennessee being decent is probably a good thing for Florida. Um, you just don't want them to be good enough to beat Florida, and I don't think they're really that close to that. Yeah, so this is uh, written by Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. And first of all, Will, you just mentioned the FPI. What a joke that is by ESPN, by the way. They came out with their final FPI today, and they still had LSU third. <laughs> They're just following the numbers, man. I don't care. It's 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 the defense. It's given up what 40, 40 points yeah. Ole Miss or whatever. And yeah, you, know, you look at the analytics and say, I, I don't. So FPI is a great way to look at overall trends. I don't think you obviously don't use it to crown a national champion. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it happens from time to time. Makes yeah. it look, makes analytic people look stupid. <laughs> uh, so uh, Connor O'Gara here, as I said, no surprise. Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Georgia. And he has a lot of good uh, uh, insight here uh, on Florida. Though. He goes, I know, I know, Florida fans are mad at me because I ranked Georgia ahead of the Gators. I didn't pull the Danny Cannell move and crown the Gators 2020 SEC East champs following the Jake Fromm news. Uh, there's a Danny Cannell who gives Florida a lot of flack uh, on Twitter. Um, he definitely – Danny Cannell. No, who? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who? I thought a mod black killed him. <laughs> that was fun, by the way. Uh Go Goodbye. check out that Twitter that Twitter battle if you guys Absolutely. got the opportunity. It was uh, it was amusing. Absolutely. If you guys missed it, Danny Cannell and Ahmad Black going back and forth on Twitter last week. But uh, a little bit of kudos for Cannell here, uh, picking the Gators to win the SEC East next season. Uh, Connor says, that's not my way of saying I believe Florida is destined to lose to Georgia for the fourth consecutive year. Uh, but, the, but, to, uh, but to start the season, I'm interested in how the Gators' defense functions after losing their lockdown corner in C.J. Henderson, as well as the invaluable Jonathan Grenard. I actually have fewer questions about an offense that loses LaMichael P. Ryan and Van Jefferson. Why? Well, besides my belief in Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts has all-American potential. The running back room is still deep. And this offensive line returns four or five starters. I think the Florida O-line takes a big step, much like LSU's group LSU's group did in 2019. Florida is a legitimate preseason contender to win the SEC crown and make the playoff. Kind of the – well, of course, I've read a lot of these outlooks from different publications, but kind of the first one here, you know, ESPN had at seven, Athlon at seven, Sporting, Sporting News at ten. Saturday on South has the Gators at six. That's the highest ranking so far of the publications uh, I'm discussing here. And, you know, if you're at six, you know, start the season, that puts you two spots away uh, from a college football playoff spot with Georgia being number five right there in front of you, of course. Uh, He lays it out right here, everything, and you laid it out well in your article too. Uh, You released this past weekend, everything because of what's happening at Georgia, what's happening at Alabama, what's happening at LSU, replacing these quarterbacks, replacing coordinators, everything is in front of Florida. This is the window, right? It is. I think 2020 is really the window, and that's one of the things that's a little bit bit nerve-wracking when you look at things because historically coaches have taken a step back in their third year, and you look at – 
you know, you, you look at Saban when he was at LSU, he did. Now, Saban didn't at Alabama, but that's a little bit different because he was already an established national championship level coach. Urban Meyer took a step back in his third year when he was at, when he was at Florida. Um, that was the year Tebow won the Heisman, but obviously the defense struggled. And then, you know, Muschamp and McIlwain both struggled in their third year. McIlwain didn't even make it through his third year. So there, there is sort of usually a a lull in that third year. And a lot of times it's tied to that transition recruiting class. But Mullen has added a lot of talent through the transfer portal to sort of supplement that transition recruiting class. And the question is, is that going to be enough? Is it, is, is it going to be enough to answer some of those questions? I mean, usually this is when you've got a lot of your own guys coming in to, to really be a big portion of your team, but he's still got a lot of guys from the McIlwain regime who are going to be back next year, including Trask at quarterback. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what happens next year. It is Florida's window. I think in 2021, Georgia's going to be a stronger team. Alabama's going to be a stronger team. LSU's going to be a stronger team. And so those teams in the SEC, we always talk about that they're going to have to go through in order to win. Um, you know, they're either going to have to play Georgia, LSU, and Alabama, or they're going to have to play Georgia, LSU, and somebody who's better than Alabama. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a gauntlet and for them to get through it next year, each of those teams has questions, right? No Tua, the wide receivers were all gone at Alabama, no Brady, no Burrow at LSU and no Fromm and Kirby's still in Georgia. So you've always got a shot if, <laughs> if it comes down to the on-field stuff. And so, yeah, 2020 is the year it's the window. I think this is the place where Mullen really has to make sure he's ready. Cause this is where he has to make a move. If you're not going to recruit at a top three top five level if you're not going to bring in five-star guys when the other competition comes down you're going to have to take advantage of that particular timing um, and that's really kind of what clemson did i mean that's how clemson built the program or a big part of why clemson built the program fsu after Jameis winston left declined and clemson was able to sort of creep up over them win the acc a couple of times and then that sort of begat more recruiting more high level guys and then um, ready to take that next step for the national title and you said, you know, having to, you know, maybe live up to the expectation and, and the window is here. But, hey, look, this is what we should want uh, from a Florida team. Uh, I know there was a – I forget who posted the original question. Uh, but I did see T-Mac uh, out there on Twitter. He retweeted it, but somebody posed the question, would you rather have Florida fly under the radar or be hyped up uh, you know, this season? And I said, I choose to be hyped up because – that's the standard at Florida. You know, you're being hyped up because you're putting years and years of consecutive, you know, you're putting consecutive years together where you're winning games, where you're winning nine games, where you're winning 10 games, where you're winning 11 games, and you're going to get the hype. And so, you know, when Florida is winning, they're going to be hyped up every year, and that's the way it should be. And so, yeah, to me, I think it's also much funner. Uh, you know, going into a season uh, when you're hyped. Now, as you said, you and I have talked before that 2012 year was a whole lot of fun because you know, you know Florida wasn't really picked to do a whole lot in, in Will Muschamp's second year, and you had all these wins at A and M and Tennessee and LSU, and that, like, it was a it was a whole lot of fun. Dan Mullen's first season, uh, going back and you know, the and winning ten games and finding ways to to go beat Mississippi State on the road and the LSU coming to the swamp and getting that win. A lot of times it is funner getting that win when you're not looked at as a team and you are under the radar. But when you're the Gators, you're going to get hyped up when you start winning games like Dan Mullen had in his first two seasons. So yeah, bring, bring me all the hype. Well, I mean, it, it's a process, right? So you enjoy the process. I mean, yeah. 10, three, two years ago, it was great that they were able to beat Michigan and, and, you know, 
put Harbaugh in his place a little bit and, and give give the fans an opportunity to see the hope coming for for 2019. In 2019, you go 11 and two. You you beat Auburn. That was something that maybe you weren't even favored in the swamp against Auburn. You come out and really sort of take it to them. Then you play competitively at night on the road against LSU, who goes on to win the national championship, and then kind of laid an egg against Georgia. To be honest, I mean, I think all of us would like to have that one back. And you know, so Florida's close. I don't know that they're there. I don't know, but that's sort of the thing, right? Is that you want to know that you're there on the cusp. That's where the excitement comes from. I mean, there's there's excitement going ten and three. There's excitement going eleven and two. But there's a lot of excitement going fourteen and one, fifteen and zero. Oh. And and if Florida- I want to be in Atlanta in December, in the first weekend of December. <laughs> Well, everybody wants to be there because I'll get my butt down there for that if they're in the playoff. And- well, first of all, I want to walk out of Jacksonville winner first. Let me get step one first. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that there's actually a there's still three more steps for Florida to take. I mean, yep. the first step is to beat Georgia. The second step is to make the playoff, and then the third step is to get all the way to where LSU got to. And you know, there's a possibility they can do that next year. But when I say the window's open, I, what I really mean is the window's open to get to Atlanta win the SEC, and if nothing else, play for the SEC championship. And if you win the SEC, you're in the playoff, right? So they can, yep. accomplish, they can accomplish next goal one, next goal two, just by taking care of business against Georgia and then being able to win the SEC. Um, just getting the SEC championship game with the way the teams have played and the quality of the teams, I think, is, again, a step forward. And I think then sort of perpetuates itself into recruiting and those sorts of things. I mean, once you stood up to the big boys and you've won a couple of those games against the big boys, then it starts to make a difference. So they haven't won any of those games against the big boys yet. I mean, they beat Michigan. Michigan's sort of in the same general realm as Florida, right? Hasn't been able to get over that Ohio State hurdle. They beat Florida State, but Florida State's a dumpster fire. They beat Miami, but Miami hasn't been very good. So, you know, it's in front of them. They got to beat these big boys. And once they show that the, that's sort of the next step this year, and that's where the windows open is there's, there's an opportunity to beat some of these teams that are coming back to the pack. And I think that it's an opportunity they're going to need to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely here. So let's go to uh, the final one, CBS and one that has uh, a much higher outlook of Florida than Georgia here. Some, if you heard this before, Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, <laughs> The LSU top four, Oklahoma five, but Florida at number six for CBS and, and their top 25. Dan Mullen's reputation as one of the nation's best program builders has program builders has been burnished. He lost his starting quarterback and still assembled a second consecutive double-digit win season. The Gators seem to get better with Kyle Trask settling in at quarterback. Five of their uh five of their first games in 2020 are at home, including LSU. It looks like the SEC East is Georgia, Florida dominated so here we go oregon at seven auburn at eight georgia all the way at nine so a kind of separation there uh for, for the cbs poll between florida and georgia florida at six and georgia at nine uh calling right now well, put this way kirby smart faces a bit of a rebu- faces a bit of a rebuilding job a rebuilding job and he's still ranked in the top 10 so that's what that's what recruiting does for you <laughs> so uh you know, it's so um, he also faces the task of becoming a playoff team again. Both tasks will be daunting in 2020. Smart must replace tailback DeAndre Swift, offensive lineman Andrew Thomas, um, and and more there. So, and they'll find out where they stand early. Will, as you alluded to earlier, not only do they play Alabama, they play Alabama in week three. And so they've got all. They start out with Virginia too. 
Yeah, Virginia, the first game to lose Bryce Perkins there, but we still know a, a team that's well-coached and in, in, in the first game of the season with all the new pieces that Georgia's going to have. Yeah, they will have home field advantage in Atlanta. <laughs> I think that game's being played uh, there. So they'll have that behind it. But, hey, Florida had home field advantage in the Orange Bowl. So <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see how that turned out there. It was still a close game. But with all these new pieces, you know, Georgia's going to have the defense. The defense will win in that game. Yeah. But as we'll see, it's still a, a tough first game, not one they'll be able to kind of just plan for Alabama all through the offseason. Still, you've got the game plan for Virginia. You, know, you can't, just can't go out there and sleepwalk. But, yeah, having Alabama so early in the season, I know there's a lot of pieces for this Alabama team uh, as well, but Georgia, they're replacing a whole lot. And to ask them to go to Tuscaloosa week three with all those new pieces, you know, you could be looking at week three and Georgia's already got their first loss of the season. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think we maybe don't give Nick Saban credit for is his ability to sort of filter out the noise, his ability to deal with the egos of all of these guys that he brings in. I mean, he brings in these unbelievable recruits, and you almost never hear anyone complaining about playing time, and you never hear him complaining about, you know, well, I mean, how many guys – there are guys who will go on the transfer portal, but you don't necessarily hear guys complaining about, you know, the coaches and the playing time and dysfunction and that sort of stuff. And we're starting to hear that sort of stuff leak out of Georgia. Obviously, they had a – large portion of the team not playing in, in the in the bowl game this year and you know Kirby has struggled with that a little bit I mean you know he'd obviously would love to have Justin Fields next year but he doesn't because of uh, whatever went on there with with Fields when he was at Georgia and I think you know what's one of the things maybe he's learning as a coach is being able to handle those different types of egos and different types of guys who are in there and the noise is going to get loud, right? Georgia mm-hmm. fans were starting to get a little bit impatient. And the fact that they were sort of a no-show in that game against LSU, now obviously I think LSU is a lot better. But still, I mean, Georgia supposedly has this lights-out defense and LSU lit them up. And then, you know, if, if they come out and sort of play uninspired against Virginia but still get the win, I mean, you remember how loud it was when Florida was uninspired against Miami to open the year mm-hmm. this year? It's going to be just like that at Georgia. And then if you come out and get smoked by Alabama – um, it's going to get loud. And one of the things that Georgia hasn't necessarily had to deal with is any sort of adversity until they've gotten either to the SEC championship game or the national championship game. And then obviously having to get beat by a backup quarterback, but it's been relatively smooth sailing. Nobody's really stressed Georgia that much um, in the regular season. I mean, they got beat by LSU a couple of times, but you know, it hasn't been huge stress on Georgia. And you know, if they're, if they're two and one after that Alabama game, having getting smoked by 30 points by Alabama and barely beaten Virginia, you can see a lack of confidence. You can see an offense that's going to struggle, guys who are going to press and, and really may give, may give Florida an opportunity. Now, on the other hand, if they come out and smoke Virginia and hang with Alabama and maybe even pull out a win, then, then you're riding high coming into, coming into Jacksonville and, and it's going to be a difficult game. So um, it could go either way, but it is one of those things where when you start thinking about the types of things that Kirby Smart does to allow teams to stay in the game, I can see, I can envision a scenario where Virginia keeps it close. They get blown out by, they get blown out by, uh, by Alabama, potentially even lose to Auburn and coming in licking their wounds and Florida has a real opportunity. All right. So when this, Hour is flying by, Will. But uh, uh, there, so as I said, CBS had Florida number six, Georgia number nine. So some separation there. Florida starting to get some more love over Georgia uh, in a couple of these way early looks. Um, I said we talk about early enrollees. We'll save that for some some other time. We can do that before spring practice or something. Those guys will be there. So we'll, we'll hit the early enrollees and uh, what they uh, may, can contribute here. Uh, 
I told you guys, I, I tweeted earlier today, uh, send me your thoughts on the outlook of the Gators with all these polls coming out. So I'll get to a few here before we uh, call this episode done. Josh Horton says it's 11-1 or bust. Easy schedule, hardest teams losing quarterbacks and replacing production. Should be no worse than an SEC title appearance. And, Will, it's the the last sentence here from Josh that uh, you know, caught, the, caught the attention. If not, we need to reconsider some things. So, don't know where he Josh is going with that, uh, or how far he wants to take that. Uh, but uh, you know, if yeah, looking at all, all these rankings here, and look, Florida's a top ten team. Uh, some consider Florida better than Georgia going into next year. So yeah, I, I think the expectation is completely fine. If you want to say the Gators need to be, should be in Atlanta the first weekend in December, if they are not, you know. Look, we, we've discussed it. A lot of fans want to discuss it because of the recruiting prowess of, of some of this coaching staff here. Uh, but this would be you know, year three. A lot of people calling this the window, the best year, the best chance for Florida to end up in Atlanta. And if you're not there, you know, does that force Mullen's hand and maybe some coaching changes? Uh, I think they're pretty stand. They're going to stand pat right now uh, with coaching changes the way it looks here mid January uh, after the season. Uh, but will it, it does bring up a good point that you know next year is looked at as the year for many publications for, from a lot of the fan base as you'll hear from some of the comments coming up. Florida's not in Atlanta. They don't beat Georgia. Uh, next year, it does make you wonder how you know what, what arts, as Josh says, reconsider some things. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, if they don't make it to Atlanta, they haven't grown from 2019 to 2020. I mean, you know, best case scenario, they're going to be 11 and two again, and that's obviously a very good season. But it's not what people expect. They expect sort of linear growth. Now, linear growth doesn't always happen, but at the same time, then you're sort of looking for step growth, and and that's one of the things I think that's admirable about what LSU did this year is you know bringing in Brady could have been a disaster. I mean, you could have had Ensminger and Brady fighting. You could have had Burrow not wanting to run the right offense. You could have had him audibling to plays that they ran last year, like things like that. And everybody was able to keep their egos in check, and it turned into a really successful thing. So um, there's always whenever you have an opportunity to make yourself better, whether it's with a recruit, whether it's with a player, whether it's with a coach, I think you take that opportunity. But you know, obviously Mullen has done a really good job of developing the guys who've come into Florida and he did a good job developing those guys at Mississippi state. And a lot of the coaches that he's got with him were involved in that. So, um, he's a loyal guy. He's a pretty stubborn guy too. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, fans are not going to be excited about stagnation or going backwards. And that's just the reality of college football these days. The Gator standard. So we, we the great chance of getting back that standard uh, this year. Tyrone Shields says with the schedule and Dan Mullen coaching 12 to 13 wins minimum SEC championship game, pushing college football playoff uh, 11 is starter. I'm saying the Trask is starter, uh, but five needs to step up with Emory there, which would take the offense to another level ready for new blood at offensive line, wide receiver, linebacker, cornerback, and safeties to step up. Must win in Jacksonville. Uh, Chris uh, Chris Compaccio, I hope I said that right, at Gator00, says uh, it's apparent coach has done a good job selling that next year is the year to make a run. Losing in, losing in Jacksonville is not an option. Playoffs are bust, and I believe the team believe it's championship or bust. Uh, go Gators uh, at, at number six Gators at Donald Lipscomb says SEC championship slash playoff appearance or bust. The window of opportunity is too great not to achieve those goals next year. Uh, a couple more here. Eric Green 
at Green DB Coach 18 says, future looks bright for our young guys. Quarterback room looks good. Needs some new proven leaders on both sides of the ball. Taking the East is a very realistic goal in 2020 and playoff aspirations. Uh, last one here, Scott Sweat at Scott Sweat 1010 says, I totally expect to win the East and possibly the SEC. Still a ways to go, though, before we are before we are ready to win it all. It all depends on getting over the Georgia hump, just as LSU did with Bama this year. Do that, and our confidence skyrockets. I do like that point there. It, there's so much, especially for LSU. You you got to go beat Alabama. You got to go beat Alabama. You can't do anything until you beat Alabama. Well, that's exactly how Florida fans feel, and that's exactly how the nation feels about Florida and Georgia. You know, going through and reading what I just did about the way too early projections. Almost every one of them mentioned Florida's got to get over the Georgia hurdle, get over the Georgia hump. We've known it. And, you know, so I think that's why so many of us felt so down about this past year, Florida-Georgia game, and coming out the way they did, you know, the slow start. Uh, the offense was kind of humming before that game. You have the uh, you know, blowing timeouts already, but later to find out that they had the wrong wristbands out there. So if, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong uh, there against Georgia. And you still only lost by seven. You still had a chance there. Uh, Georgia wasn't really playing that well coming in, didn't really play all too well after that game either. Uh, so a lot of people feel that was a missed ex- opportunity this past year, Will. And you're getting another one next year. We know Georgia's recruited better than Florida, but with the way the turnover has been, with the way the quarterback positions has now played itself out, Justin Fields transferring, and they have to go get a transfer from Wake Forest in the grad transfer market. Sorry, I'm not sold on him. It's there. It, it is there for the second season in a row for Florida to go beat Georgia, and it has to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at how Urban Meyer was successful, he beat Florida State, Tennessee, and Georgia repeatedly and like a drum. And that's why Florida was successful, because he went out and he beat the he beat the rivals. Now, the rivals have changed a little bit. I mean, I think LSU is more of a rival than Tennessee now, just because LSU is a better team and because Tennessee has struggled so much. But again, if you're going to have successful years at Florida, you got to beat LSU, you got to beat you got to beat Georgia, and you got to beat Florida State. Now, he's been able to beat LSU one out of two. He's been able to beat Tennessee twice. Um, you know, he's been able to beat Florida State twice, but he's 0-2 against Georgia. And you can't go over against Georgia and, and get where you want to go if you're the Florida head coach. And Florida is not used to being the little brother to Georgia. And I don't think fans are going to respond well to being the little brother to Georgia for too much longer. And so, um, yeah, that's the next step, right? And I, I think there's actually a segment of the fan base that would take not making the SEC championship game if they still pick <laughs> Georgia. And yeah, I think we've asked that question about Florida State before. You know, would you rather – <laughs> would you rather get to a would you rather win the SEC or or and lose to Florida State or beat Florida State? And I think when it comes to Georgia, especially just because of the way things have gone over the last couple of years, most Florida fans, I mean, obviously winning the SEC sort of part and parcel to being able to beat Georgia. But um yeah, that's the next step. And that's where Florida's gonna have to go. And and that is the progression and and it gets you to where you want to go, right? I mean, the, yeah. the reason the Georgia game this year was so disappointing is that if the team had looked more prepared, I, I think I'd be okay with it. Like the loss to LSU wasn't disappointing because Florida yeah. put it themselves so well. The loss to Georgia was disappointing because it just felt like they were about to get over the hump and then they just never could. And, you know, the defense was able to keep them in the game and the offense just could never get anything going. And that's really sort of not been the MO for Mullen, right? It, the offense has never been a problem. So to see the offense sputter, to have the things come out about the wristbands and all that stuff later, I think is is disappointing. And after that game, I think I was the most melancholy I've been in a long time after watching a Florida game and and – um, I don't want that feeling again. I know the fans don't want it either. So 
yeah, we'll see. You get a shot every year, and Mullen's going to get a shot again. But you know, the successful coaches at Florida. I mean, Spurrier took it to Georgia and took it to Georgia intentionally. Meyer took it to Georgia, took it to Georgia intentionally. This is something where they're going to have to start playing that game from last year on the monitors in the uh, in the weight room next week <laughs> and make sure that the players know this is the one that circled on the calendar. You know, you can beat Tennessee, you can beat Vanderbilt, you can beat Missouri. None of it matters. You got to beat Georgia, and, and that's where it, that's the progress we need to see next year. And that's the thing about this game. Kirby Smart looks at this game like Spurrier looked at this game. He played at Georgia, lost to Florida while he was there. It's it's a vendetta. It is it is personal. And that's the same way Steve Spurrier looked at that rivalry too. So you know, hopefully you know next year uh, is the year we'll have you know we'll discuss it <laughs> for the next eight months about how many times Florida needs to beat Georgia. <laughs> so uh, and, and looking at it, Will, you mentioned it earlier before we sign off here, you know, Florida does have an easier schedule than Georgia. But if you look at Florida since the inception of the SEC championship game, Florida has not made it to Atlanta without beating Georgia. It, it has to happen. I mean, in Georgia in 2005, I believe they lost to Florida, Urban Meyer's first year. They still made it to the SEC championship game. But Florida has not made it to Atlanta without beating Georgia. Well, and I think, you know, look, we, we, Florida's off to Tennessee and, and made it to Atlanta. And look, sometimes it's just circumstantial. Sometimes it's just the way it plays out. But Florida, you know, the point stands. Florida's not made it to Atlanta without beating Georgia. Yeah, well, and, you know, we talk about recruiting all the time, but obviously on-field development and on-field coaching matters. And if you can put a stake in Georgia's heart next year, I mean, if Georgia's already lost to Alabama and Auburn and then you can, you can, you know, beat them 40 to 17 or something, well, you know, the recruiting story has to change at that point, right? Because <laughs> if, if the recruits aren't getting the wins, if what Kirby's selling isn't getting them to where they want to go, if Georgia's looking to take a step back – then I really think that can propel Florida. Because let's be honest, there are two teams in the East. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not scared of Tennessee long-term. I'm not scared of Kentucky long-term. not scared of Vanderbilt or South Carolina or, or you know, or Missouri. Georgia's the team that Florida's going to be competing with, and, and that's who you measure yourself up against. So, yeah, I mean, this is their opportunity. They're going to have to take advantage of it. They're going to need to treat it like the rivalry game that it is. I know Urban Meyer, you know, the, I would love to see – Mullen come out and do something similar. Not not the exact same thing, but you know, Meyer took it personally when Georgia came out and jumped on the field, clearly, right? In, in 2007. And in 2008, he calls those timeouts at the end of the game. I, I'd like to see Mullen take it personally. I know he bristled a little bit at the end of this game when they asked him how far Florida mm -hmm. was. He said seven points. It's like, no, nah, you were further than seven points in that game. Like, like Georgia, Georgia won that game and won it pretty convincingly. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, you know, I, I want to see him take it personally, and we'll see whether he does. I'm sure he will. He's he's certainly going to hear about it at every stop during the offseason because that is going to be the question is how do you get over that hump? That is the next hump, and we'll see if he can do it. Absolutely. Our, you know, our, our listeners just let us know how much that Georgia game was with their comments. You know, it's, it's, it's on the forefront, and look, it has to be. Uh, that's Like you said, that's pretty much the next step uh, in, in uh, getting the Gators back to glory for damn Mullen. Uh, will, quickly, man, uh, what you got? Lately on uh, read reaction, as I said uh, this past weekend, I know you kind of discussed a little bit what we you put out there, what we've just discussed here on this episode uh, a bit, but went into went in some more depth there uh, with the article. Uh, so that one uh, was really good, and what you got coming up? 
Yeah, so in that one, I talked about sort of all the quarterbacks who are leaving in the SEC. Talked about Jamie Newman, the transfer coming into Georgia, sort of the guys who are coming back, talent differentials, all that sort of stuff. Basically, a lot of reasons why it's the window and why we think 2020 is so important. And then coming up, I mean, obviously, the Trask versus Emory debate is is a big deal. And so one of the things I've been doing is going back and looking and charting a lot of Trask throws. So that's probably what's coming up in the next week or two is is really looking at where can Trask improve, how much can we expect, is he going to take a jump? I mean, nobody's going to take a jump like Joe Burrow did, mm-hmm. but but what is it going to take for him to take that jump? How reasonable is it to expect him to take a significant jump next year, be a lot better, and lead Florida where we want him to go? All right, that's Will Miles. You can find his site at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.